It's time to set sail on another episode of Unconstitutional Awakening, the podcast. I'm your captain, Jim Bob Oval Shorts. And tonight we have a very extra special, super awesome guest that I am very humbled and honored to actually have join us on the show. He is probably one of the most intelligent men in the world and was really at the forefront of the whole thing uh, during the whole pandemic crazy nonsense going on with you know winnie the flu and whatever else stuff was going on there man i am speaking about dr robert malone or should i say captain robert malone because boy do i have a special treat for you guys tonight and you're just gonna have to tune in and see man so that it i uh you know i reached out to him and he was gracious enough to come on and join us and i have Luis and steven joining me with them this even, evening tonight so that we can sit back and pick this man's brain. I, I think this is going to be a different kind of conversation than what he is normally used to. But hey, you know how we roll things here, guys. We're just kind of one crazy thing after another and all over the place. So. But hey, you know, hey, all, all jokes aside, like I, I think that this is going to be a pretty good conversation. And I've even got some questions that I've kind of wrote up for myself and i want to see if we can get in there for this evening some funny some some serious so you know it's it's going to be a good time like so but of course anything we do speak about or if you'd like to find yourself a way to get back to captain malone and anything that he's got going on you can always go back to everyone's favorite website online unconstitutional awakening dot com you're home for everything us man we've got all kinds of great things going on over there with it becoming springtime bandits got some updates coming on in the urban farming area over there in the podcast and more of course that's also where you go to find the spot to answer your pirate question to get your free unconstitutional awaken in the podcast stickers man while you're over there hanging out on the website you can find things to uh watch us if all you do is listen and listen if all you do is watch us as well as tune into the latest episode right there on the website man so I, I i try to keep it hooked up for you guys man i, I look for the things that i th- feel are important so that way you guys can keep up to date with everything we got going on over here man 
And if you like those stickers, if you've already got them free, or if you'd just like to get some for yourself, you can always check out the merch store. So that's always a good place to get things going on. As well as our friends in Liberty Man, Kirk Elliott, Peachy Key Creations, Ammo Can Survival, Brett Pike with Classical Learner and Homeschools Connected, and Pure Pet Wellness, man. Like, these are all great alternatives to the status quo, and I highly recommend them. And if you use my awesome discount codes that are linked in the bio of this episode, you can totally get yourself a discount when you're going over there, man. So throw my name around, get yourself a discount because that's the best I can do for you. But Hey man, you're supporting a good cause and good people, man, like good, honest working people out there trying to do something awesome. Kind of like captain Malone, man. Like he, he is one of the probably larger brains that I've probably ever got the opportunity to speak with. So this, this is going to be a fantabulous evening and I'm going to, quit running this trapper of mine so that we can just uh hit it and go have an adventure with captain malone and of course ladies and gentlemen as i was telling y'all in the intro there we've got dr robert malone with us this evening and Luis and Stephen have joined in with me so this is going to be fantabulous i believe so you know dr malone first and foremost Thank you so much for spending, setting some time aside of your day to come sail with us. And, you know, I really dig the fact that you joined right in and became a pirate with us this evening as well. That, that, uh, that is some good stuff, man. Like, I, I did not expect that. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Let's have some fun. I've, this is like, I've done two sworn testimonies today oh. and a podcast with <laughs> Roseanne Barr. So uh, this right. is, this is the end of the day. I get to, I get to kind of let my hair down, so to speak. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Hey, that's the, that's the kind of stuff we like around here. So, so you know, you know, the first thing I was thinking of that I have got to ask you, man, is you know, what 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 drove you to such a point to that you got you got so uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for, Luis? It's off tip of my tongue. Passion. <laughs> passionate. That's right. That you I'm got so pa- you got oh, so passionate. Big words. I'm going to go for the short words. Let's okay. just call that, that, uh, that, that you wrote How a whole book about. Hell? Can we say mad as hell on this right. podcast? Yes, we sure can. can say more than that. Then there we go. Then there we go. I'll just ask you, what, what got you mad as hell to the point that you had to absolutely write an entire book about the thing? Ah, so the book. Yes, I got to I gotta um, uh, take a moment here and do the marketing thing um, and, and flip on the monitor with the picture of the book. Uh, so um, those are two separate questions. Oh, I got, I got mad as hell because I saw these, uh, jerks, um, totally disregarding all the rules and just blowing right through them. And these are rules that I've had to spend decades learning. And, uh, it's not been an easy lift. I mean, I did a fellowship at Harvard to learn wow. the rules. Okay. Um, and and I spent a stupid amount of time. Now somebody's doing screen sharing. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So there, the obligatory pump on the book. Uh, now we can turn that off. Um, <laughs> now, now I can tell my publisher we've done our thing. Um, there we go. Uh, that would be Skyhorse Publishing, and uh, then they won't. They will, I won't get in trouble. But um, <laughs> no, I got. I got. I got proper pissed off 
because uh, uh, the government and Pfizer and Moderna just uh, threw away the rule book. And uh, all the things that I had, I had learned that were the rules of the road just got disregarded. And furthermore, I've, I've spent a stupid amount of time being trained in bioethics. And uh, to do clinical research, which is what I used to do for a living, uh, you have to take pretty much annual update training on bioethics. And the government uh, seems to have decided that um, they could just throw away the rule book on you know, the Nuremberg Agreement and Helsinki and the common rule and and the Belmont report, and they just didn't care. I mean, I we're it. we're in an environment where the position of the government seems to be catch me if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'll see you in court two years later, like with the mandates and everything else, and and a million bucks and good luck. You know, that's basically been what's happening too with tech and and uh section 230. Uh, and, you know, all of the censorship and colluding with the government, that's all been, we're going to do to you whatever we want to do, and good luck catching us. And by the time you do, it's going to be moot. Matter of fact, that's what's happening right now with all the lawsuits about the mandates, is the government's, uh, the, the courts are basically saying, hey, we really don't want to deal with all that that happened. And so we're just going to consider it moot because we no longer have mandates. So, there's, you know, there's, I, I always say, hey, guys, there is no justice. And uh, that is, that is abundantly true in the present. So yeah, I'm, I'm more than a little pissed off. And then there was the writing, the whole bullshit of writing me out of history uh, by the people that wanted to get the Nobel Prize, Carrico and Weissman, and they did get some big prizes. They got millions of bucks in awards. The only thing I've ever got, just to be clear from my patents, is one Susan B. Anthony dollar, okay? Because I was working for a company and I'd signed away my rights. That's the way things are. Like I said, you know, there is no justice, life is not fair and get over it, snowflake, right? I mean, this is kind of like the pirate's motto, frankly, uh, oh. is is this is just, you know, get over it, right? This is, this is the way life is. And uh, so, but, you know, there's still right and wrong. And and uh, over the last three years, they just they haven't cared. They haven't cared about what's right and wrong. And the thing that really pisses me off pretty good these days is the whole psyops campaign. And I like to talk about fifth generation warfare. Basically, the the Five Eyes governments: UK, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the United States have deployed military-grade psyops propaganda weaponry designed for battles against the likes of the Taliban, against their own citizens, with the logic that we have such a deadly virus and such an effective vaccine and no drugs that work for Tinker's Dam, that we're going to uh, force people and we're going to deploy our, our top PSYOPs technology using military units like the 77th Brigade in Great Britain against our own populations. MI5 are the sons of bitches that have rewritten my Wikipedia page. Okay, 
um, and many others. Anybody that said anything about ivermectin, they got hacked and whacked on Wiki by MI5 because the rules are in the Five Eyes Alliance that the Brits can do to us what the CIA can't do to us directly. And so they set up these reciprocal agreements whereby the CIA does it to them and they do it to us. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the rules are. They, they just kind of do whatever they want to do. And this is just absolutely not right. While I'm ranting, you know, because here we are, a bunch of pirates, um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'll just say a, a, a gratuitous R. Um, uh, just let it out. Just let it all out. The, the, the uh, you know, all of this, this stuff that they've done, uh, the, the propaganda and the deplatforming and the censorship and all of that um, makes the whole concept of sovereignty, which is absolutely at the core of being a pirate, um, is personal sovereignty, right? Yes, we call it freedom. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it makes the whole idea of sovereignty obsolete. If you live in a world in which the military of your nation is deploying fifth generation psyops technology on you to control everything you think, feel, believe, hear through every information channel they can, the whole idea of sovereignty is is an anachronism. It is obsolete. It's right out the window because they're busy actively deploying the most advanced psychological technology they can to cause you to think, believe, and feel whatever it is they want you to think, believe, and feel. And as far as I'm concerned, that's wrong. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. That, you know, that actually, actually, you know, I, this, this is just kind of odd and out there, but to see and you know you're talking about like the different kinds of psyops and stuff like that that do truly exist i gotta ask what's your what's your all-time favorite conspiracy ah um all time <laughs> i'm i'm so uh the the one that's out on the edge for me where i can't go but i sense there's merit to it is the role of the Bank of International Settlements and the central banks in all this. Yeah. I think that's going to um, become more more painfully uh, aware to a lot of people that aren't yet very soon. So, Yeah, in the form of uh, central bank digital currency and uh, hyperinflation. And, I mean, the, the, the Chinese, Russians, Iraqis, Etc. Iranians all getting together, together with the Indians, mm -hmm. and I'm not talking about uh, American Indians, uh, um, to create this new alternative currency, and now Saudis are buying into it, uh, is going to blow away the petrodollar, and we're we're likely to find ourselves in a in a world of pain. I think um, internationally and, more so, but pardon. But I think internationally more so for sure, but here locally, if people still believe the dollar has a value, then I, I don't think it's going to affect people well, here as much. Well, you do. You do. Yeah, hyperinflation. I will yeah, say, I, mean, I will say on a positive note with this, there is, there are, there are 16 states looking into their own currency, which mm -hmm. to do so legally, it has to be gold backed. 
And you do have DeSantis, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but every now, you know, a broken clock's right twice a day, but he is already trying to make central bank digital currencies illegal in the state of Florida. So you, there is already some pushback on that. And that is a positive in, in, in my book, because I don't, I really think that a mass population of people like myself included are not going to give up my cash for digital numbers. Like I go, I, I, I'm the pain in the ass that everybody doesn't look forward to seeing because I'm like, nope, it's got to be cash or I'm not doing it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for using cash right now. And uh, not to sound like a nutcase gold bug, but uh, um, you know, gold and silver in in these times seems to be where uh, all the big boys are going. All those banks are busy snapping that up. And uh, so, is that a bad idea when you see all those central banks snapping up gold? Uh, I don't think so. Well. Um, it, it it was an excuse to print. So since 2020 to now, $42 trillion of new money essentially was created. And yep. that's a great way to say, let's get this money now before and solidify our positions of power before we are, no, they noticed all right. of the money stolen. Before inflation oh. pushes it all the way up to astronomical values as well. Yeah. You have yeah. to hoard as much money as possible before everybody realizes, oh, you were the one hoarding the money. Uh, we want it back. Mm. <laughs> we want yeah. the money back. FTX. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, wake up and smell the coffee, uh, um, young Luke. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, uh -huh. they, they think that FTX gave potentially close to a billion just to the Democratic Party and 50 My. to 80 million to the Republicans. My. If there's any fixing that washing machine, it's probably why they had to shift focus to somewhere else. Well, well and, yes. and speaking of washing machines, <laughs> we have this little conflict uh, around the Black Sea uh, um, that just seems to be awfully convenient uh, for that purpose. Especially when the, the washing machines all broke here, kind of seemed like it shifted over there almost immediately to me. Well, yep. well I mean, did, I, was, I was hearing about the new military spending budget and the way that the people that were per presenting it were saying that we need, we, they were just flat out saying, we need this to go to war with China. Like, why are we, why are we poking more bears? Like, we're already yeah. poking several bears as it is, and like, now we're just adding to it like that that when and when i see something like you know what is it bricks i believe that they're forming over yep, there that's right okay they just met the other day and da, uh, and winnie the Brazil's pooh not gonna trade too and and winnie the pooh and putin signed like 15 different documents and like they're changing to a gold standard and they're doing all this stuff together and of course you know our our media and stuff is calling them you know the new access or whatever but they're they're just they're not for a lot of this kind of weird things of America's got going on and that's causing us to crumble. And I think they've seen it before a lot of us have did and are trying to get the trying to brace themselves to get out of it. I know that's a weird take, but like it just no, it's, I think you're right on. I think you're right on. They're all looking for a way to super pack together, just like we did with other countries with NATO. I, yeah. just, I think it's their own version. Well, but I, I agree. And uh, we have not played our hand very well. Uh, the rest of the world uh, does not see the Americans as the nice guys. 
Well, uh, of course. 754. <laughs> 754 bases around the world. That are confirmed. That are, that are confirmed American military bases and four brand new ones to be built in the Philippines with this new budget they're discussing. And I think it's over 800 if you consider all the unaccounted ones. Oh, it's probably way more than that. I'm sure there's an office in every country somewhere. It just depends on how big it is. It's but, almost like it's almost like back when uh, Great Britain had the, you know the the biggest navy the in the world, and we're yeah. yeah. Uh, as, and now a lot of similarities empire, there. We empire are just changed sides. Two hundred. So have you guys ever heard? Have you ever heard the story of the Sea Peoples? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think that they were possibly the Phoenicians or connected to the Phoenicians, but I don't think there's any conclusion. Or, or some people think they were the Trojans that uh, yeah. um, were pissed off and uh, you know decided to just go and rampage. But mm -hmm. the so the story goes, you you know that there. So at that time, basically all of the major Mediterranean cultures and empires collapsed. Um, and one of the most remarkable stories that I think is relevant for our current situation and specifically relating to our supply chains in China is that the way I hear the story, as the Sea Peoples worked their way down um, from the Bosphorus along the Mediterranean coast, you know, pillaging and looting and, and doing everything else uh, pirate-like as they headed uh, down the coast, um, uh, as they got close to Egypt, Ramses knew that he was in trouble. And uh, he apparently did some brilliant strategic moves and pulled all of his considerable armies around the mouth of the Nile where they kind of hid in the reeds and the bushes and predicted that the Sea Peoples would come in, I guess through Alexandria, into the mouth of the Nile. And when they did, they got bushwhacked. And Ramses won. He destroyed the Sea Peoples. And within about 20 years, the Egyptian empire collapsed. Why? Because the Sea Peoples had already destroyed the supply chains. Egypt was cut off from its supply chains and it could not sustain itself. I mean, what we have done in exporting manufacturing is to just basically set ourselves up for catastrophic failure. It's just like we have a slow fuse. Doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow, but our kids are going to be in a tough spot. And then on top of it, we have the, the passing, as you know, of Pax Americana, which means that the sea lanes are no longer to be secure in the same way, going back to our pirate theme here today. Uh, and that means that international shipping, which is what subsidized the low cost of international shipping, is what's maintained and enabled a lot of this uh, massive global trade in exchange. Uh, if we lose Pax Americana and the American Navy and both the Pacific and the Atlantic become uh, combat zones and conflict zones, and, and we have the development of, you know, pirate, literally piracy again, uh, because we're not going to have a major consolidated Navy to keep the sea lanes clean. Um, we're we're going to have the cost of import export go through the roof, and uh, we're we're going to be in a world of hurt. And the only ones that aren't are going to be these uh, crazy, wild-eyed guys with long beards that do things that we call survivalists. 
I wanted to mention you, you've spoken about looking at a positive outlook of the future and the decentralization movements that have been coming up all over the world. I've even mm-hmm. talked to people, economists in different parts of the world, and all of them truly believe that the greater future is a decentralized future in the sense that several countries will learn to develop a lot of essential resources and how they can create them locally and then exchange only what's absolutely necessary. Autonomous economic zones is something that's hot with the Peter Thiel type crowd. Um, uh, you know, they're testing out all kinds of different concepts around that. Um, of but course, Bitcoin at- and, and cyber currency are a big part of that. The only issue with things like Bitcoin is I see, even though Bitcoin has a current upside at the moment, I, I can't see it. It's going to survive once we break in quantum decryption, once really becomes comes to light in the next few years by a state eight, like a state actor, they can just slowly siphon off Bitcoin and destabilize the whole currency. And also the governments will slowly be able to also censor the internet. And the only way you'll be able to trade these cryptocurrencies will be through small uh, networks. So it's, it's a strange new future we're getting into in that sense. I, I still, I still think Bitcoin, personally, I still think Bitcoin is, was a, was a CIA psyop from the word go, but that's just, you know, coming from the weird dude in a pirate hat. So with the, uh, with the pyramid on his, uh, on his cuff, um, <laughs> right. It's right actually on. an igloo. Oh, is that what that was? Yes, sir. A, a three, a three cornered igloo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's a large flag. I think I have a representation. Yeah. When a couple of years back, yeah, a couple of years back when everybody was creating new freedom flags, that was my pirate flag I created just to ruffle feathers and see whose attention I could gander. And it, uh, it's done the job that I wanted it to do because pe- people get a look at it and they're like, wait, what is that? And then they want to stop and listen to me for a few minutes. And, and, you know, I try to, I try to tell them cool things that I've learned in my experiences here on this planet. And it, it, it seems to have worked out actually, you know, I, you know, with the censorship and stuff like that, that you were even speaking on, like I'm, I'm, you know, no stranger to that, you know, um, that's a lot of what led to kind of the show and stuff like that. I've, I'm one of the most banned unknown people on the face of the planet because like I, there, if bandit was here, he'd back me up and he'd tell you there was, there's been times that you'd get two or three friend requests from Jimmy in a day because they would be nuking his accounts left and right. And I have had multiple devices, perma band and stuff like that. And a lot of it even come from, you know, sharing great, you know, great wisdom and knowledge you were sharing with everybody when you were coming out. Just even telling the truth, telling the truth. I I was, I was just with, so that the prior podcast with Tommy Kerrigan, I don't know if you've ever watched Tommy's podcast. Okay. And, uh, He's he's feeling the pain right now, um, uh, and he I think about four times he mentioned that I it was it was pushing my stuff with him on YouTube that got him demonetized and deplatformed. Uh, I'm I'm pretty toxic on YouTube, let alone oh. Facebook. Oh no, I, I don't think you're toxic at all. I think you're exactly what we need. Like you being demonetized. Yeah, you're amongst friends. I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> here in this place. I mean, I've been, you know, I, 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 they demonetized me on the only one I was ever monetized on was TikTok, and that's because I was I was close to 150,000 followers, and then I made the I, 
I made the suggestion that government is slavery with extra steps. And I woke up and I was perma banned, like to the I mean, so perma banned that when I went to make another account because I was using the same Internet, they were like, no, this is the same person. And immediately IP address. So I was like, hmm, I ended up having to go somewhere else and create the account just to do the account on my computer only just so that I can, you know, still kind of to try to try to tune into things and share like yeah. episodes of the show and stuff. And it's that's, just, that's what you get for having a static IP address. That should teach you. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I, I learned my lesson yeah. on that one. Cause I was just man, like they, they got me good on that one. And, you know, used to when Facebook would, would, would eliminate a phone like that, completely ban a device. I was just like, well, crap, it's time to go grab another device out of the, you know, out of the cabinet or whatever. Cause I, I occasionally have a few leftover old burner phones that have cracked screens, but they get new IP addresses when you change the phone number on them. And yeah, they, have, they have a new know. device ID. Uh, I've, I've got one. I'll bet none of you guys have. Which guy? In, okay. in the in the list of uh, bullshit bans, um, <laughs> I was once my IP address was banned by, by the New England Journal of Medicine. Now that's special. Whoa. I was going to say, in your circles, that's probably your, definitely the feather in your cap. <laughs> that's right. Make the feather bigger. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yes. But what, from submitting something, from commenting, like how? I'm why? sure it was just his name alone was all it took. Yeah, I, I think it was just, uh, you know, pure wickedness and uh, um, just uh, nasty, um, ugly. Well, because um, I mean, when 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 you start when you start telling the truth, they it this is a proven thing throughout history. They do everything in their power they can to silence the dissidents. Like you, they they do not. It it, and I've always looked at that as a badge of honor. Like every time I've yeah. been banned, every time I've been, you know, deplatformed from one or the other, you know, things. It's just like well. I did, I'm doing my job right. I did something right because I hit the nail on the head for yeah. the fact that they're trying to shut me up so quick. Yeah, there's that. But the thing that is painful to me, I mean, frankly, um, uh, the ugly BS from the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Atlantic Monthly and the modern Rolling Stone, and it goes on and on from the left, that doesn't bug me as much as being shot at from the right. Um, and that... That when when you're in the foxhole with with other guys that, and gals that you think are your buddies, mm. and they decide they're going to start bragging uh, you, um, that is painful because um, you've trusted them. There's no pain I think like finding out that you've been double crossed or you've trusted somebody and they've turned on you. That is really especially hard when you to think travel. they're a friend. I I, I can yep. relate to that you know greatly. You know I. The the I think that a lot of people learned who who their true friends really are and such over the past three years for sure. Because you know, there were people that even I've known most of my life that were willing to throw me under a bus because I was like, Hey guys, something's not right about this. Maybe we shouldn't be listening to the government. And it actually cost me my job. I, I was a mechanic for I'd I move appliances, but I quit moving appliances because I'm getting older and it takes a toll on your body. And so I decided yeah. to get into working on engines and I was a mechanic for about three years. And then all this stuff started and everything was good at first. They didn't, you know, they weren't really bothering us, but then all of a sudden they came in one day and they said, well, 
everybody's got to start wearing masks and you have to go, you can't come back to work until you go take this test. Well, I started quoting Nuremberg trial and all kinds of mm-hmm. things and caused such a stink that the entire company, which was three, three car dealerships was shut down for an entire week until they could figure out if I was, had proper feet to stand on. And then they finally, after a week come to me and we're like, we're just going to have to let you go because they had no other answer to what they could do because I was in the ear of everybody in that mechanic shop being like, Hey, don't listen to them. They can't do this to you. And, you know, but I, you know, I took, I took it with strides. You know, I actually immediately went and started up my peanut trailer. I sold hot, sold hot boiled peanuts on the side of the road along with eggs from so my where, chicken. Where are you based? Is this, this sounds like Georgia to me. You're correct, <laughs> sir. You are absolutely correct. Quite astute. Quite astute. And, um, yeah, well, we used, we used to live in Jasper, oh, Jasper. Uh, in northern Georgia, yes, up sir. in the hills. I'm down. I'm down in uh, mid Georgia, somewhere lost in between the world of uh, Atlanta and Macon. Yep, it, that'll it, do. It, it, it's 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 down here in the sticks. There ain't much near me other than woods and rivers. So that's and that's what I look forward to. But I, you know, I the peanut thing kept me afloat for a while, and I I somehow I made myself legendary in the appliance world. And they somebody tracked me down one day and was like, hey. I heard you were looking for work and I'm like, you can't afford me. I can't move appliances anymore. And they're like, you only have to do rich people's houses, no more apartments. And I can give you this much money and such. And I was just like, crap, I guess I'm going back to work for that. (laughs) So, and the boss man, he's a farmer as well. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't believe in all that nonsense. Me and him, we're looking at each other, you know, through all of this. And we're just like, people need to hang out with their farm animals more because you don't get sick if you're, you know, wallering around with pigs and cows all day. Like that's just not something that happens. Well, I feel like it's like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, of course, it's going to atrophy, you know, and that actually there's there's yeah. there's peer reviewed literature to support what you just said. Um, and in particular, in children, mm-hmm. uh, these hyper sheltered children that don't go out and play in the mud and do stuff like we used to do when we were kids. Yeah. Um, uh, they. Uh, have a lot higher incidence of allergies and other uh, immune system problems. You absolutely need to get exposed to your environment, Mm -hmm. especially as a young person. That's what you just said is those things that is actually a deep truth. I don't, uh, I don't, um, You don't see kids on bikes anymore, man. Like, you know, my kids are out there on them. You don't see them in their bloody front yard. You don't see them out there running around anymore. You know, and I, I, mine, mine are atoned to playing with all the animals and stuff like that. But, you know, and don't get me wrong. They have their times that they get to enjoy some modern things, but they're, I, I try to raise them a lot like I was. And it's, it's a beautiful day outside. You better not come in unless you're bleeding or, <laughs> or you know, or somebody else is That's, bleeding or it's time for dinner. Time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't come um, back. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's what separates a lot of us now from the folks that have grown up in suburbia and in the urban environments is, uh, well, let me tell you an anecdote. They got a problem going on in medical schools right now, particularly for surgery. The young people that are coming into medical school have very little experience working with their hands and they don't have really good coordination. They're having trouble finding good candidates uh, for surgery, uh, for surgical training, because they don't have the manual dexterity because they haven't grown up using their hands. 
except for keyboards and cell phones. I mean, I, you know, you always see them talking about how everybody's fingers are going to evolve, you know, are going to eventually evolve from where they hang that phone on the bottom of their pinky finger and stuff <laughs> like I, and I don't doubt it, you know, and this, this actually was going to lead into a question I did. I did kind of want to ask you is, you know, with you talking about how there is some truth to us, you know, eat playing in the mud, eating in the mud and stuff like that, that helps with our immune systems and such. What are your thoughts on like home, home homeopathic virology and stuff like that? Homeopathic so, uh, medicine in general, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, um, so there's some weird things uh, that just don't make sense, but that's true of a lot of things. Okay, so I'm going to make a general statement about how I see the world. Um, and I actually talk about this in the book a little bit, in the part where I'm talking about sciences, scientism and all that. Um, the way I see it, the world is kind of in three compartments. There's the things we know, there's the knowable but unknown, and there's the unknowable. The unknowable has a lot to do with our senses and our technology. There's a lot of things that we cannot detect, okay? There's a whole school of thought in, in kind of uh, cognitive evolution that um, species evolve uh, to have the capabilities sensory that they need in order to survive, okay? So we're optimized. The spectrum of things that we can see are optimized for us. They, we've been driven into this evolutionary tunnel. So the things that we perceive are the things that are adaptive for us to perceive. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in the world that we don't see. There are all kinds of animals that see and perceive things like birds being able to detect magnetic fields, okay? Because it's adaptive for them to do it and we don't need to do it. And so we never evolve that capability. The point being is there's a whole bunch of stuff in the world that exists. I guarantee it exists and we don't know it exists because we can't detect it. Okay. And that, you know, how do you look for something that you don't know is there? The real problem. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you take that as your starting point, then you have to say, okay, there's stuff that exists in the world that we may think it doesn't make sense because it doesn't fit our paradigms, but we're not able to sense it. Like I've got a friend, there's a whole school of thought um, about structured water the fourth phase of water, right? We got steam, right? We got liquid water and we got ice. Well, there's a fourth phase, it's a gel phase, okay? And it's and it actually a lot of cell biology has probably more to do with the gel phase of water than it has to do with the liquid phase of water. But we've got all our minds wrapped around everything being liquid, solid, or gas, okay? But it's not, there's liquid, solid, gas, gel in terms of water. And water can be structured and unstructured, and it can be very much um, uh, influenced by electrical and magnetic fields. And uh, our bodies aren't just, you know, 70% water. They're 70% structured water. There's very little free water in our bodies, okay? And all kinds of stuff is going on in that environment 
And there, there is, so now I'm trying to get towards homeopathy. So for instance, my old friend who passed away this last year, Luc Montagnier, Nobel laureate, discovery of uh, what we now call HIV, called it LAV, okay, um, Frenchman. He did a series of experiments that relate to homeopathy in which he enabled creation of structured water of various types and then showed through a series of dilutions that that structured water could influence other surrounding water. Okay? My point is with homeopathy, there's stuff that we don't get. And um, there are absolutely artifacts that, that can happen when you're doing studies um, that could lead you to conclude that something's real when it's not. But it's also quite possible that things that we think aren't possible actually are. Mm. Um, so my frame of reference about all of that is that what matters is what you can detect and the things that you can't. And you absolutely have to keep an open mind that there's a whole world of phenomena out there that you don't you don't know what it is. You know, we we like all these experiences that most of us have had, or many of us that are open about these weird coincidental things where you know somebody gets hurt, you know, or a close relative gets hurt, and you suddenly feel it, and yet you don't know it yet. Okay, there is weird stuff that happens um, that suggests that there's some fundamental connection between human beings and between humans and animals. I can tell you that I can go in with my horses. This is one of the things I love about having horses. I can go in with my horses and they know like that, my state of mind. Okay. They can sense it. And if I go into a horse herd, like my mare herd with all their foals and I'm upset, they, they act totally different. And yet, still me. I am not speaking to them. We don't have language together. Um, but they sense all kinds of deep emotional stuff that yeah. I don't know how they sense it. They just do. <clears throat> maybe Wait. it's, I, I just, sorry, I just think it's, um, maybe it's not quantifiable to us because like you said, we haven't observed it. It's just well, something, yeah. Well, I mean, you, I, it, you know, folks that are for folks that are familiar with the show here will know that, especially me and Louise, love getting into the conversation of like frequencies and stuff. And I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, we are. Well, as I mean, it's not a believer. It's, it's basic knowledge, really, that there are all kinds of frequencies all around us. You know, all the time. Like, I, you know, we're. <clears throat> You might, no you, might, question there. You, you might yeah. laugh at this, Dr. Malone. I, I, I like to tell folks usually that, you know, I'm I'm in here somewhere, but this is like a meat body mech suit, you know, out here controlling around in this realm. And like, you know, I really believe that the me that's deep inside here somewhere can find these connections in people like yourself or animals or, you know, just earth in general and stuff like that. You know, I, I'm one of those guys that thinks that there is a... You know, there's something here under the sun from planet Earth for everything that you could possibly need. I mean, people lived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years long before a lot of things were synthesized and such and, and you know, in the modern times. And I think that the over-synthesizing over almost everything, and I mean literally everything nowadays, has led a lot to the... 
like the structure of where people's, you know, health and mind and body and all the above, you know, is, is today, you know, I like, there's so, so I'd like to, I'd like to share a story yes, with you. Okay. I have a, I have a buddy that has a farm that's about 15 minutes from our farm here. Nice. Um, and he happens to be one of the only double gold medalist equestrians in United States history. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, fairly serious guy, uh, quite accomplished, uh, Mexican, uh, the Mexico games among others. Okay. Um, one of the greatest horse riders in North America ever. Okay. And he just happens to live close by and, um, he's dedicated his life to understanding horse saddles and horses and what, what makes for a more relaxed, happy horse. And he's got a whole shop there with the CNC machine. And uh, he builds carbon fiber saddle trees and he carefully tests little adjustments on a herd of horses that he has. And what he's come to find out is that if he grounds the tack and the horses, they totally change their behavior. He had a horse that was just psychotic. Um, but this is the kind of thing project he likes to take on. And he put a grounding apparatus that would touch the horse and ground the horse as it's moving around in the stall. It totally changed its behavior. Hmm. Um, there, there is weird stuff going on with electrical fields with all of us that we have no clue about and we have no ability even to perceive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer and there are many things we can't perceive. You know, I, I've, I was actually, I was actually in a, like a Bigfoot documentary one time and that was something that I was making, you know, notion to is that things like that are in areas that we can't perceive. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that thinks that we really should reinvestigate a lot of the places that people think are fringy for information, you know, because there might be some of that you don't know information, you know, inside of that stuff, because people, people kind of wrote things like that off as like, no, you know, that's, that's just made up, you know, that just, that doesn't work. And here we are years later with kind of like some more proofs and stuff. And so I'm going to try to loop back to the earlier part of our podcast discussion. Yes. We were talking about decentralization. Yes. And intentional communities. I yes. think I think that the future of humanity, the potential of humanity can best be reached if we enable a network of intentional smaller decentralized intentional communities that can all interact as peers. And be allowed, you know, we talk about things like the laboratory of democracy allowed, and you were talking about Ron DeSantis and, and the state of Florida, for instance, just a minute ago. Um, so if I think that there is a potential in humanity that is untapped, that far exceeds our imagination, and we can't get there right now because we have a bunch of structural barriers in how we organize ourselves and interact with ourselves, styles of leadership, 
all kinds of things that create barriers between us, barriers to innovation, barriers to reaching our full potential as a species. And I believe that it's only going to be if we do exactly what you're saying, allow ourselves the latitude to not just open the Overton window, just explode it. Just say, no, we're, we're, we are not going to constrain our thinking. We're, we're going to try to exist in an intellectual space in which there are no barriers, no constraints. What would that look like? Sounds like anarchist. Are you kind of an anarchist inside? <laughs> and if so, what type of anarchy do you think you would follow? Well, I don't know enough philosophically to discriminate between different forms of anarchy. The pirate kind. Um, I suggest the pirate kind. <laughs> well, uh, I think you're just partial to that notion. I, I, anarchy means to be without rule, to be self-governed. And I think that's what's missing today in a lot of places been driven from us by the very thing you were talking about earlier the government in general uh these operations that were put into place and it, it was you know a lot of people were brought to their knees during um the the big market crash and because of that the institution and federalization overreach just exploded and after that you have all these people that took over education um, the people funding everything that was being explored. It well, was no longer I, I would public. beg to differ. I think all that BS was already in progress. Like, it, it was just undercover. Yeah. And, and, and all this stuff has, you know, that that's the difference between the great reset, and the great awakening, right? The great awakening is, and this is, I like to say, this is one of the silver linings. Okay. We can now see them. Their their it's their easy. cover is blown. Yeah, way easier. <laughs> and well, in terms of anarchists, as far as I'm concerned, I I love freedom. I've had to live by my wits and the seat of my pants. Remember, I was a carpenter and a farmhand before I was a physician and a scientist. Okay, I've I've had to bootstrap. Okay, I've always been on the edge, um, scrapping and clawing my way. Um, and, and trying, you know, I just cannot tolerate, this is why I couldn't stay in academe. I just, I can't live in with that kind of culture and those kind of people. That's why I love having a small farm. This is our fifth small farm. Yeah. Okay? And we, we literally <laughs> homesteaded it. Yes. It was raw land. Um, and now I've got two houses. You know, when we moved here, we had no septic, no power, no water, and no fences, and we lived in an office trailer. We had a porta potty, and we drove down the road half a mile to get a shower at the local gym. That's how we lived uh, for months and months and months. Made it through the winter with four dogs, and it was like a four hundred square foot office trailer. But we did it. You know what? My wife and I think that it was one of the happiest times of our lives. You know, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a bunch of stuff That's right. to be happy. Huh. That, that struggle helps you um, derive purpose. You feel like, yeah. okay. And it, it definitely gives you a strength because everyone who struggles comes out stronger or they just don't come out. So. Well, and the other thing that happens, and this is also what happens to all the deplatforming and all that other bullshit, um, is is life throws all these things at you or your opponents do 
And um, if you if you kind of maintain your integrity, which is not always easy, mm-hmm. uh, having a partner, you know, I, we just passed 44 years of marriage. Having a partner can be really helpful. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, if you're committed to that and um, take it seriously, because you can lean on each other in the times when you need somebody to lean on and, and you've got a real friend, which is a blessing. I mean, it's hard to find a real friend. The older you get, the harder it gets. Um, and uh, and when you pass through those those little valleys of death, um, and you don't die, that you know the saying, "That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger." And um, when when you pass through these things, and and they do what they do to you, um, and you figure out. Well, okay, they can't do a whole lot more. They could kill me, I suppose, but um, then I'd be dead and it would be irrelevant anyhow. Um, but in terms of all the ugly they throw at you, uh, you know, the corporate media and all that, if if you can, and it's sometimes it's really hard. Like I said, when when you're when people you thought was on were on your side shoot at you, that's that's a problem. But um, but if you can survive it. You come out the other side a lot stronger because you're like, so what? You did your worst. Here I am. I still have my integrity. Um, you know, I still got my spouse and, uh, you know, go pound sand. <laughs> That's okay. a very pirate thing. I, I think you're more pirate than you realize. Just <laughs> Oh, I, I told you. I was a carpenter and a farmer, and this is my fifth or sixth small farm, depending on how you count it. Yeah, that and and you know I'm I really I talk about that a lot because I've found a lot of homesteaders doing the show and such like this and in the past year and a lot of people that have decided that you know regular society and the clown show going on in clown world just isn't isn't for us you know uh, I, again I wish he was here this evening you know Bandit he he's he's a lot like I am when it comes to like working on this stuff and he's still in suburbia, but he's working towards his goal of, you know, vanishing into, into the woods. Like, you know, I've, I've chosen to do and such too with a lot of it. And it's just because, you know, if they're going to continue and burn the world down, at least I'm back here behind the gate with my wife and kids. And, you know, we can, we can worry about what's going on with the goats instead of worrying about what's going on with somebody in Washington. The classic solution in Georgia, um, uh, for vanishing in the woods involves a cornfield and a little bit of <laughs> copper. <laughs> we like to do it close. We like to do it closer to the river. Yeah, yeah. Small creeks. You don't have to carry uh, it as far. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can tell you, if you get tired of Georgia, Virginia is a nice state. We live up again. We live in a county. I mean, I can't, I still can't believe this. My wife gets the gold star for finding this land. Mm. Um, we live uh, basically at the base of the Shenandoah National Park in a county that has the same population that it did in World War II. Um, about two miles as the crow flies from the oldest Lutheran church in North America. Mm. Wow. Um, on, in, at the base of this amazing valley called Hebron Valley that almost nobody knows about. Um, it's an old lake bed um, nestled up against the Shenandoah. And uh, I, the, the Virginia land along the Appalachians is sweet and it's not too expensive. And 
where we, our farm, you know, I grew up in California, as my wife did, which means no water. Okay, so we're really sensitive to water. And I've got this place that runs around my farm, wraps around and in Horseshoe Bend, it's called Deep Run. If it was in California, we call it a river. Um, and I'm one farm away from the confluence of the Robinson, which is known as one of the best trout streams in the central uh, East Coast. Um, it, it's in, in this, I'm not rich. You know, like I said, we homesteaded this place from raw land and we had to fight the county to get in here tooth and nail. Uh, you know, we live in uh, manufactured housing uh, because uh, that way they couldn't inspect it which is one of their little tricks is to nickel and dime you if you try to build a house. Oh yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, and now we've got the barns and we're producing good horses and, uh, you know, the wife is happy. We got the dogs, um, and, uh, and people, and I've planted, I don't know how many fruit trees and that's, I I'm looking forward to being home for the next two weeks because I got more fruit trees to go in the ground. <laughs> oh, man, you know, I would, you know, talking on planting like fruit trees and stuff. I got, I got some stuff. I'll definitely forward to you that I was educated on here recently that would goes right on hand in hand with, you know, doing homesteading stuff. And it's called a food forest. And like, I've been I've been kind of studying hard on it a lot since the guest I had told me about it. And it is just some of the most captivating things I've been reading and watching and stuff. And it's something I'd actually like to Im implement myself, too, because it's just a never ending area in your yard that just continues to produce well, so, food so, annually uh, and such. If 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 things break your way uh, and you feel like you want to uh, get out of uh, um, south central Georgia and you're sick and tired of having to drive through Atlanta, uh, don't, don't, don't overlook Virginia. I can tell you it's a nice place to be and it's affordable. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I've, a lot of the reason I ended up, you know, partial to down here is we've, depending on where you are, there is, you know, in places like I am, there's few and far people as there is. And a big thing that's popular here in Georgia that has, in a, in a sense, found loopholes around a lot of these regulations because people are good at doing that, I guess, is they're building barn dominiums around here a lot, which they're going and putting these giant metal buildings on their property and turning the inside of this giant metal building into a house. And it turns out that there's not as many regulations on these giant metal buildings as there is on even a trailer or a, you know, a, a stick and in a house. I, no, and, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that strategy and it, so the one thing about it is it can be a little hard to heat and cool. Sure. Um, uh, so that's that's that. Um, the thing I love, not that I you know have any love for Clayton Homes, but uh, they the talk about pirates. Those guys are are absolute uh, bloodsuckers. Um, but uh, but our we our electric bills are tiny. Nice, nice, and. And and I've got a I've got an issue with snow, man. I did I did some time in Denver and Buffalo, New York, and and oh, Buffalo will do it. And I, <laughs> yeah. I the the moment I was able to get away from the snow, I was just like, I don't, I don't know if I can go back, man. Like I like I I, I totally enjoy my Florida weather without Florida people. <laughs> yeah, that is that is kind of one of the upsides of that part of Georgia, uh, for sure. Uh, um, and and Florida is mean, getting crazy. 
Florida is just I, I I mean it's been crazy. Ooh. It's just becoming it's becoming more aware, like people are, are seeing it more. It's out there more, I think. The internet the internet's showing it to everybody. Yeah, Pensacola was enough for me. Never went back. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did I did are actually you, are you ex Navy? Is that the story? No, no. Air Force. I went there for PM training. So. Okay. So it turns out Pensacola is uh one of kind of it's actually Dothan is ground zero for my branch of the Malone family. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh huh. Nice. Yep. Nice. I, I got nothing against Florida. I'm just saying it's wild. That's all. I just know it's uh, wild. No, it's it's a uh, it's a special place. Yeah, uh, there's no question about it. For sure. No offense. <laughs> so, so I want uh, there was you know kind of backtracking just a little bit. I did earlier when you were touching on things, as far as like the differences in like some homeopathic type stuff, and then just you know just health in general and whatnot. I I, I gotta ask. Do you think that do you have like thoughts on that if there are not so much in some cases that it's actually a virus or something, it's more of a symptom from another health issue that has kind of led people to think that they have oh, something. Okay. And in part, what you're talking about is terrain theory. Okay. Um, which is this uh, kind of 1800s, late 19, early 1900s, uh, um, version of health and wellness okay uh that um louis pasteur there was a, a big conflict uh between two of the key thinkers back then uh about whether it's germ theory or terrain theory that uh controls infectious disease and uh stop me if if you already know all this so in terrain theory the belief is that it's actually your body um, and how you take care of your body and the health of your body that gives rise to disease. And in germ theory, Louis Pasteur embodying that, it's it's these uh, microbes that he could observe in the microscope that are responsible for disease. And in a way, it's a false dichotomy because it's both, right? But there's no question in the case of COVID that people that have in general what's called a pro-inflammatory state mm -hmm. um, are way more susceptible to the disease, which further exacerbates that pro-inflammatory state. The, the spike protein is a nasty piece of work, whether it's coming in with the jab or it's coming in with the infection. And it does all kinds of stuff to your body and it flips on, on all kinds of inflammatory signals and uh, unfortunately, with the jab, you produce more spike protein for longer than you do with the infection. Okay, so that kind of explains that a little bit. Um, and so people that are pre-diabetic, obese, um, have autoimmune diseases. Like, for instance, I have cold urticaria. One of the reasons I can't live where it gets really cold is I break out in welts um, from the cold. Okay, now it's a lot less since I've uh, recently changed my diet some, I used to be vegetarian and my doctor told me because of my uh, inflammatory markers, I needed to go basically carnivore. Uh, of course, he's a little biased because he's one of the top cattle ranchers in Virginia. <laughs> um, but- uh, Full disclosure. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but um, I like him a lot and, and I'm absolutely doing better. Uh, 
And I also took uh, a, a, a series of drugs that my friend uh, Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey developed for their recovery protocol through the FLCCC for uh, both uh, post-vaccination syndrome and long COVID. And that includes ivermectin, of course, and, and a number of other things. Uh, but um, there's, there's no question that if you look at that category of people that do worse and you try to figure out what ties them all together, one thing that a lot of docs buy into is they all have markers of chronic inflammation, which, by the way, is one of the biggest risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Okay, so that that you know the biggest thing that Americans can do, and this is one of the the shames of all of this, is have you ever had Tony heard Tony Fauci say, "Take your vitamin D and lose weight," or "Get out and get more sunshine," or any of that stuff? Hell no, right? He wants to give you patented drugs and uh, and get the government to pay for it uh, for some reason. I can't imagine why. But uh, the, the real thing that would have made the most difference is just so. Um, uh, yeah, muy buen. Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, ka-ching, thank you. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have that on my... On my uh, <laughs> you also um, get together after the show. On, on my uh, uh, little, little uh, roadcaster here. Um, let's see, I have applause somewhere. Oh, but it's all turned off. Well, that's oh. good, probably. Um, uh, so... Uh, so yeah, um, you're right. Uh, and and there's in the internet, people are busy throwing spitwads at each other like they love to do about terrain theory versus germ theory. And there's a whole school of thought that says there's no such thing as a virus. And uh, that's wrong, by the way. I have purified viruses, grown viruses, uh, blah blah blah. Okay. I was gonna viruses on that. Exist. What's yeah. what's your point? What's your view on bacteriophage and the research that's going into that? That's now they're exploring it as an alternative to antibiotics. So that's a fascinating topic. Um, did, did you ever hear of a book called Aerosmith by Sinclair Lewis? No. OK, um, read it. It it. Uh, <laughs> Almost, I think he almost, he got the Nobel, or he was nominated for the Nobel Prize for it. Um, he co-wrote it with another guy. And it's uh, basically a surreptitious story about the Rockefeller Institute. Um, and, it's, and it's a story written in mid 1940s about a physician who starts off in a rural practice and then gradually moves up through academia and everything. And uh, there's an infectious disease outbreak um, down in the Gulf, and uh, he goes down there, Virgin Islands or someplace, and and the the storyline is he saves the day with this brand new therapy that they've just developed, bacteriophage. The whole the phage story in medicine has been going on for a long time. It was a big deal in the Soviet Union. They spent a lot of effort on that. I believe Georgia, and, the country, is one of the pioneers in the technology. Which is yep. what was an ex-Soviet satellite that still hates Russia. Yeah. So, so there's, um, uh, it's, it's really intriguing. Um, and phage obviously are basically bacterial viruses, and uh, they're also used, by the way, for genetically engineering bacteria all the time. It's one of the common technologies. 
Um, phage are bacteriophage are kind of one of the workhorse systems in molecular biology. Um, and, and there's all kinds of potential, particularly for GI. And uh, so you may enjoy uh, the work of one of my buddies that I've, I've come to know during these last three years in this weird uh, travel that I've been on, named Sabine Hazen. Uh, she just had some interviews on Epic Times. You, you guys might know of Epic Times. Uh, um, one of the heroes of the COVID crisis, as far as I'm concerned, um, is Epic I, Times. I, it has to be people that hate the CCP. I mean, the Falun yeah, Gong exactly. who fund and, and, who fund yeah, Epic, yeah. Epic Times. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, if you if you've been preyed on uh, and organ harvested, it, it generally tends to uh, make an impression. Um, uh, so uh, in any case, Sabine Hazen is a gastroenterologist that does fecal transplants and also genetics of poop and uh, maps out the uh, um, biome of the people's guts and documented that uh, you see a profound shift in their biome uh, during COVID. It's one of the most consistent things and you see certain types of bugs come up. COVID, SARS-CoV-2 infects the gut really strongly. And by the way, uh, gentlemen, it also happens to infect and uh, cause damage to, let's say gently, uh, male erectile tissue uh, because it's highly vascularized. Mm -hmm. um, among yes, other that was one of the big list of, of ways to make people take the jab was, you know, <laughs> your dingling will stop working <laughs> if you get infected <laughs> or you could die. What are the two? Yeah. Which one do you prefer? Yeah. Um, yeah. What a choice. Yeah. Uh, so in any case, Sabine is uh, a big, a big, and there's a whole, this is another one of those areas that, that you were talking about that has been kind of forbidden because who wants to do poop research? Well, uh, but it turns out that what goes on in our gut has all kinds of impacts on our mental state mm -hmm. and our overall health. Um, and uh, phage is one tech, as well as uh, um, obviously, um, uh, you know, orally taking these various uh, um, bacterial preparations uh, and eating yogurt and stuff like that. But but the active manipulation of the relative balance of different bacteria in our gut seems to be able to provide all kinds of impacts on general health and psychology. Um, people's mental state is very much apparently a function of what's going on in their guts. And I've often is, heard that it is your second brain, and that's why that gut intuition, that, that's why that kind of exists, I think, that it's, it is something phenomenally connected to your body and who you are as a being. And if you have something that attacks that directly, it makes me feel like it, if we can go fringe, it was created to do that intentionally to make people bewildered, possibly, and susceptible to suggestion, as we were talking about before with the PSYOPs. Well, that's deep. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Well, but, I just, but it's something there's that I found ab Absolutely, COVID. there is a gut brain. That, um, that's undeniable. And the uh, just like dinosaurs have two brains, right? Yeah. Any of them. 
Um, crocodiles. We can we can measure that today. <laughs> and um, and in humans, the connection mm -hmm. is in part through the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve has all kinds of impacts on mental state, um, uh, and in energy levels, and all kinds of stuff. Are you also a fan of um, perhaps we shouldn't be eating as much or having three square meals a day? Uh, I only eat twice, and I do my best to do intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. oh, do you think yes. that's that's more beneficial than trying to? pop a bunch of vitamins and <clears throat> well i i my wife is a fan of all of the above okay. um and i've been married okay. for 45 four years so we'll just leave well, that i don't want you to have any more enemies than you already have so <laughs> <laughs> well, well no i mean well, you know like like you know, I, I do like, I believe gut health is a very important thing. You know, you definitely need to, you know, watch what you're intaking anyway. And, you know, earlier you were saying you were doing the vegetarian thing for a while and are, you know, now more carnivore than you were before. And I, I like to make it a point to point out, especially to vegetarians and stuff that, you know, a lot of our modern fruits and vegetables were selectively bred and stuff like that to get these current results that we have for these you know sweet flavorful fruits and vegetables and stuff like that you know i, I if you look throughout history it seems that more people had a lot more of a meat-based diet with you know this stuff kind of on the side or used as garnish than than well, anything and also else. also you were talking about edible forests yes and one of the mainstays of edible forests is nuts yes oh yes absolutely um, and that's one of your advantages is you can grow pecan. I can't. Um, and we got peanuts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and peanuts are a great food. And the, the bad guy are these carbs, these carbohydrates, this wheat and corn that they want to give us and, and jam down our throats and give us in, you know, 375 different versions I, with fancy colored boxes i have changed recently to um because I, I try to do a lot of my i don't i like to be like a ready-made house you know like not everything is just out there in a box and needs to be microwaved i like to be able to make things from scratch i do most of the cooking around the house and stuff like that and and the past few months i've gotten into bread making a lot and i have changed all of our bread that we intake into this house into nothing but sourdoughs because there is something in the sourdoughs and the fermentation process that I think is extremely great for gut health and is alternative to, you know, a lot of the garbage ones that are on the shelf that last almost a month when you buy them inside the plastic bag. You know, my, my bread's bad in three days if we don't eat it. Yep. You know, I was <laughs> going to say that. And there's, there's, a, so a lot of people think they have gluten allergies. Yes. Uh, but then they'll go to Europe and they can eat the bread and they're confused. The reason apparently is there's some material. I forget. My wife knows the name. Glyphosate or something, if I'm not mistaken. It's, no, it's not glyphosate, um, but, you know, Roundup. But it's it's there's a material that they add to the flour in the United States that's actually forbidden in Europe. Okay. And they add it to the flour because it makes it so that it stays on the hooks better when they're allowing it to rise. And a lot of the allergies that we experience in domestic U.S. breads 
are actually not to gluten, but they're to this other additive that is banned in Europe. And so people go over there, they eat the bread. They're like, hey, this stuff is great and it's not bothering me. I don't get it. Um, but then they're trying to jam. I mean, that's, that's the thing about the vegetarian diet is how do you eat vegetarian and not eat pasta? I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's wicked. It, uh, for me, I love Italian food and it's, it's really tough. Um, but those, those bloody noodles, all those carbs are, are absolutely what drives you towards the pre-diabetic state and these hyper-inflammatory syndromes that set you up for all this other stuff. On top of the fact that, you know, you've got, you've got corn syrup crammed and absolutely, absolutely. everything like it, that, that I think that was a mistake all the way around. Like, I, I understand it's cheaper and stuff like that, but you know, like I, it, that stuff has done a number on everybody's health. I really think like there, there's just so much corn syrup. And then, and then there's trans fats. What, what would you say is the negative in trans fats? I've been trying to avoid sugar now for over a month and, and it's a struggle because everything has sugar and everything has a, a uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But why is trans fat so bad? Okay. So now we get to go biochemist. Ready? Yeah. Buckle in. Um, the term trans, uh, we're not referring to uh, people that have undergone gender transition, um, but it relates to a carbon-carbon bond structure. Um, so you can have double carbon bonds where the carbon comes off to one side, that's trans, and where the carbon comes off in a way that, that isn't like that. So you can have the bond go like that, or you can have the bond go like this and that, if that makes sense. I'm trying to diagram organic chemistry. The, the, the 3D diagrams we've seen. Yeah, yes. okay. And uh, the thing is that in, um, in these industrial processes that cause uh, fats to become more liquid, they are more liquid when they're in the trans form than the cis form, Okay. Cis and, for, and trans have to do with the orientation of the carbon bonds around a double bond, okay? And we don't have enzymes in our bodies that break down trans fats. Trans fats are not generally made in animals. And we don't have the tools, the biochemical tools to metabolize them. Because normally fats are this super duper form of energy. It's, it's a fantastic way to store energy in a very compact state, much more, much better than carbohydrates. Um, but the way the body handles them uh, through the Krebs cycle is they're like this flexible energy storage form that can be easily processed or not. But when you have these trans carbon-carbon bonds, you don't have enzymes to break them down. So it cuts, it cuts up the carbon chain until it gets to that. And then it's like, it's got indigestion and they get deposited in your cells. There's no, it's like, you can't take the trash out and they end up inserted in your membranes, which your membranes control everything about cellular metabolism. You are in many ways, your membranes. Um, they determine your everything, all of your biochemistry of life. Uh, cause they control, um, gradients, you know, ATP gradients and sodium gradients and all that crap that controls, um, cellular metabolism and energy. 
And uh, so these trans fats that are synthetic that we take in because we eat um, these um, uh, industrial uh, fat preparations that have been processed often from plant sources uh, and then gone taken through a, a, a chemical reaction that gives them these characteristics that make them more fluid at a higher temperature um, or a lower temperature. I'm sorry. It's, it's like the our body, we well. eat them, we eat them and our body can't break them down. And so we're stuck with them. Um, and, and that's why they're so bad. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that brings me what I was going to ask about. Do you think fiber would help with as far as carbs and sugars in general? And I guess the things that enter our bodies that shouldn't be, uh, there's so much like fiber is cut out of all the kernels, all the wheat, all the barley, whatever we consume typically. All that fiber from the husk is cleaned off and all that's left is the dense nutrient sugar of the kernels. And that's typically what that processed or processed goods. Hydrolyzed oil might be another one I think that you might be referring to. Yep. Uh, it's found in sodas primarily and that's part of that processed oil to give it a, yep. a feature i think is what you're yes yeah, so uh, so i agree fiber is important obviously for gut health mm -hmm. um it affects uh the rate of uh absorption so when you strip the fiber out then you end up with relatively uh clean uh simple carbohydrates that um are rapidly um broken down and enter the bloodstream very efficiently and so instead of kind of a delayed release, you end like up with a surge. Yeah, and then your pancreas is constantly getting slammed. Every time you take one of those meals, one of those big um, carbohydrate-rich meals. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, basically, you get pancreatic exhaustion, which I is pre-diabetes and then diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, <clears throat> I guess, I get, no, I, my only problem with a lot of this, though, I guess my my thoughts on the idea of the trans fat thing is <clears throat> when the FDA started going after the trans fat thing and putting more poisonous oils in their place. Like canola oil is absolute garbage, and a lot of the seed oils that are out there are absolute garbage and a lot of what's killing people. So what's your point? I just I I guess I'm trying to figure out what what would be the al alternative choice. Well, the alternative choice is to use natural products and oils. Like, for instance, uh, when I was growing up, the big bad guy was butter. Sure, butter is going to kill you, right? And sure. you should eat margarine. Um, uh, you know, it's exactly one the opposite. molecule away yeah. from plastic. Eat that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, which kind of, I mean, brings me back to the beginning of your rant. Sort of like we have all of these. What we'll we'll just call them bad actors in government, and they're not being held accountable. Obviously, and it's gotten to a point where the lesser of two evils has come to concentrated evil. Do you feel like it's all of government, or is it just? those bad actors of government that really pushes that kind of um, outcome that we've been, you know, susceptible to for all these decades. Okay. So this is another thing we talk about in the book a little bit about the okay. administrative state. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, how do I approach this? 
Um, well, I mean, just the FDA. I, well, let me, I'm trying to just gather my thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there, are, there are many good people in government, okay? There, there are people that just want to feed their kids. Um, there are Latter-day Saints that wouldn't lie if, if you, you held a blowtorch to their feet. Um, uh, and there are absolutely nefarious actors uh, that are in there for power, fame, money, control, uh, you know, or the revolving door so they can get out and make three times their salary uh, when they leave the Patent and Trademark Office or they leave the USDA or they leave the FDA or they leave the CDC or whatever. I mean, or the FAA. I mean, a whole bunch of our federal agencies have dual purpose. And, and it's by intention. And this is what's wrong with the whole bunch of them. Like we were talking about Monsanto, I think, a little earlier. Um, we talked about glyphosate. Um, I'm getting, I've had so many podcasts today, I might be getting confused. Um, I know right. Roseanne Barr and I were talking about Monsanto and Hawaii. In any case, um, uh, Monsanto is a great case study with the USDA. Almost every USDA director that I can remember has been a former senior Monsanto executive. Um, uh, Monsanto owns American agriculture, and the USDA has a dual function of both regulating and promoting American agriculture. The CDC has a dual function of regulating and promoting vaccines. The FDA has a dual function of regulating and promoting the pharmaceutical industry. It goes, the FAA has a dual function of regulating and promoting the aviation industry, hence the supermax fiasco, right? Um, this business about dual function is structurally creates corruption. Yes. And allowance of this revolving door, the USPTO, the, the way, if you want to work, if you want to make big bucks as a patent lawyer, you get out of law school, you do your stint at the USPTO, and you get out after three to five years, and you go to work for the big firm, and then you're busy talking to the people that you used to work with. That's how it's done in D.C. I hate D.C. There is like there a, is no moral ethics there. And this like this behavior goes on all the time. Another thing that happens is that all these poor souls are siloed. And all they get to do, and they only know that a lot of the information is compartmentalized. Of course, it's even worse in the intelligence community, mm -hmm. uh, in the DOD. But a lot of these people are, are just... They, they come to work, they do their little thing. Um, they don't think about the intrinsic evil of the overall stuff that's happening. And, and I, I keep coming back. Uh, if you've ever read Hannah Arendt or Hannah Arndt, uh, this great Jewish philosopher woman who was a um, concentration camp survivor in World War II, great philosopher of the 20th century, who gave us much of our insights about what happened psychologically in Germany in the, during Nazi period. She has, she has this expression, the banality of evil, that came to her when she was uh, covering the trial of Eichmann in Jerusalem. Banality of evil. And her point is the banality of evil, because her to her point of view, as a concentration camp survivor, Eichmann was not intrinsically evil. He, he was not the monster that everybody was hoping he would be. 
he was basically a, a bureaucratic hack um doing what he thought he had to do to um uh maintain his position and advance in the german hierarchy just follow um, orders and and her point is the banality of evil which he he did some of the most evil things documented in the 20th century um just like the guys and gals that worked on the trains that hauled the jews to the ovens and they thought their job was to make those trains more as efficient as possible to haul as many jews to the ovens because that was their job um and Hannah's point is the banality of evil stems from a failure to think a failure of people to process and cognitively have awareness of what they're doing the consequences of their actions just moving through life in a fog doing what you're told you know we have a name for that in our world and i suspect you know it it's the sheeple okay the, the, these people that seem to live in a fog and they just do their job and they live in their little silos and they do what they need to get ahead and sometimes they're wickedly competitive with each other and cutthroat and all that but none of them are thinking about the fact that what they're really part of is something that is absolutely evil and we have seen that evil come out over the last 3 years in ways that i don't think any of us expected do, do you think i think oh. that's a lot of what goes on with our government is is there's all these intrinsic forces in this complex system that result in emergent uh effects and interactions that no one would have anticipated or intended um but in my model for basically what the hell happened over the last 3 years we've got three major things one is failure to think one is complex systems and one is nefarious scheming and those all interact like the interface between nefarious scheming and failure to think is unintended consequences the intersection between nefarious scheming and complex systems is corruption the interface between complex systems and failure to think is arbitrary bureaucracy and right in the middle of the intersection of those three is the banality of evil that's my model for all of this and i think that what we're observing is is this complex interaction of systems and these different types of systems effects and the primary premier component of that is people's failure to actually think about what they're saying and doing on a daily basis and the implications of their actions I now some up. of us no some of us do ask questions and some of us do think and you and all of us have all experienced that that ban basically or or the censorship the extreme censorship and i feel like that there is a template that's used in any of the letter alphabet soup alphabet agencies of the government and you're exactly right i think it does boil down to compartmentalization that prevents people from knowing and connecting dots in their own world with each other and i feel like the 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 whole uh national security and secrecy of the government is what really uh quickly perpetuated this model of corruption it got, it got backwards you know they're they're supposed to be telling us everything and not worried yeah. about a damn thing we do <clears throat> it is exactly what what it has come to 
And I feel like, um, in your opinion, what could we do as people? Um, two things. What, how do you feel? Like, yeah, what, what do you hey, feel like two we things. can do to kind of reverse that? Two, two big picture things. Um, and that's, you know, the book, I'm going to make another shameless plug. No, um, plug as much notice, as you want. Notice I can't the, wait to be the subtext, which I insisted we put in the title because it was so grim. The lies my government told me is just like everything that Skyhorse publishes is just dark uh, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, the real Anthony Fauci, that's just dark. When I finished reading, I, I edited that book twice for Bobby, and I was depressed for weeks after both times. <laughs> okay? Lord. Um, so okay. the better future coming. What the hell is the better future coming? Okay? And we already talked about part of that. Okay. I think that... Well, I'm going to tell another story. Yes. I'm told that George Orwell, in an early edition of 1984, wrote a foreword in which he predicted that the eventual outcome, if everything stayed the same for humanity, was that we were going to live in a pharmaceutical totalitarian state in which we would all be drugged into submission. And as far as I'm concerned, we're already there for most of our young men mm -hmm. with Ritalin. Okay. Yes. We, we are drugging them into oblivion and subservience. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's a sin. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's obscene. Does it kill creativity in your view? Because I've seen uh, that those types of amphetamine-esque drugs do actually kill creative drive and cause a lot of other health issues. But is that I one of the agree. So, so, but getting back to the story, Orwell's version, Orwell's vision, is that the only way could, we could avoid that eventual outcome was by working to create decentralized social structures. Okay, this is George Orwell writing in the 40s. Okay, um, not everybody realizes that George Orwell's mentor was this guy named Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave yep. New World. And that okay? book predicted so many things, so yeah. many things. <laughs> Okay, um, so so that was Orwell's version. So one thing I think we absolutely have to do, I'm afraid that the globalists are going to have their way with us. Hmm. They've been okay. planning this for decades, and I don't see how this gets turned around in two years. Hmm. You know, I don't see Ron DeSantis riding on a white horse saving us from ourselves. <laughs> um, or Donald Trump or whoever. Yeah. I mean, no. we're in this deep. They've we been planning this for a long this. time. Oh yeah, and they're and they they use this strategy. They don't back off. They just kind of turn it down for a little while and then turn it back up again when we're not looking. Or they'll position another piece in front of us. Yeah, um, so we're we're in this pretty deep, mm -hmm. and it's going to take a while to get out. And in the interim, we got to build um, tunnels. We got to build structures within the structure. We, you know, the reason why my Substack is called "Who, Who Is Robert Malone," is it's an explicit reference to Atlas Shrugged, who is John Galt. Okay, people, a lot of people don't get that, but not that many people have read Ayn Rand, except for people in our little weird world, right? <laughs> we're not um, weird. We're normal. We're perfectly normal. <laughs> we're the, nor we're we're the normal ones. It's the rest yes. of the world that's lost their mind. Absolutely right. agree. <laughs> um, so, so uh, I think we have to build um, locally. You know yes. the, the old saying: "Think global, act local." 
I think we have to build our own intentional communities, often the ones that are the all over the world I've observed, and as of the other docs that have been touring with me, the communities of faith have been the most resistant to uh, this mass formation process or hypnosis or psyops or whatever you want to call it. The communities of faith, and I underscore communities, people that have community are really resistant to a lot of this crap that they throw at us. Because they have discussion power. They can actually talk to each other without feeling that they're not going to be judged. Which is one of the powers of the podcast. What we're doing right now is basically we have an online salon. um, Like our grandparents used to do when they would meet in their little front rooms and, and shoot the bowl about whatever was going on when people actually talked to each other. Um, so build communities, um, build decentralized structures, try to think, and there's all kinds of versions of intentional communities that we can use as models. Monasteries are intentional communities. Nunneries are intentional communities. Amish have intentional communities. Mennonites have intentional communities. Churches have intentional communities. There's all kinds of examples of intentional communities. Uh, people that work in farm co-ops. I mean, we don't have to go back to the 60s and, you know, run around naked and have long hair and and lots of sex. Um, (laughs) Sounds pretty good. (laughs) That's like what humans want to do. Yeah. You you thought we were going somewhere with that, huh? Yeah. I thought I I was wanting to know how to get on. Point number one, (laughs) intentional communities. Grow intentional communities. And we're going to – one of the problems with imagining a future – of the decentralized matrix human experience is we've never had that. And what I find when I talk to people about these kinds of things is they have a lot of trouble imagining something that's different from what they've experienced. So for instance, when we talk about tokens that we would exchange, you know, whether it's cyber currency or whatever, how do we do that? How do we set up communication tunnels? How do we, um, uh, create archived knowledge without censorship boards. Um, doing and I, I talk to groups about that and they say things like, oh, we should set up a think tank. And I'm like, boom, shoot me right now. Okay. <laughs> You're going right back to where we've already Old been. Yeah. It's really hard to think of things that haven't existed before. And yet we have to do it. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of interaction. And anybody who comes to me and says, I know the solution is exactly the person that I don't want to talk to. Facts. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, the best I can do is to think of processes that could allow us together to come up with new thinking. Build bridges. Yes. Well, you know, we, and, you know, that's something I, I do like to, pride myself on when we're trying to find folks to talk to is we're always trying to look for people building alternative means to the current status quo system. You know, we've, we've had a lot of great guests that have come up with some amazing adventures and me and bandit and even Luis, you know, he laughs at me about this conversation, but I get, I get into this a lot talking about the idea of the Flintstones and Jetsons. It's, it's a theory that they went on at the exact same time. And ah. 
<laughs> All right. And and check this out. There's people like us who will, universes. will in turn probably end up as the as the Flintstones. We're going to be the guys that are out here farming and living closer to the earth and stuff. While the nut jobs that want to continue to go into this tyranny very well might end well, up in 15 minute cities in the sky. sky. Have you yeah. heard the model that that the old cast structure is gone mm -hmm. and the new cast structure is the physicals and the virtuals, or what I like to call it is the physicals, the virtuals, the transhumans, and the overlords. That's that's the new reality. And those poor bastards that are coders, I, I wrote a substack about this, okay? Um, think that they're the ones that are gonna survive, but in fact, they're the ones that are gonna get automated out of existence. Absolutely. GPT and the ones that are going to survive five. are the physicals. Yeah. It's already happening. The, yep. uh, hand labor. I mean, the, the value of work, I think, will truly go back to handmade things. Um, yes. Interpersonal commerce is going to be foundational to this decentralized future. And that's I've been working on projects to work in that field is I believe that building options to understand how you can trust that other individual you're working with is going to build part of the That's foundation of how you construct a situation where you do commerce directly with that person with no intermediary whatsoever that can create a determination between your exchange. That's what's going to create a fundamentally better future because then the exchange of value occurred between these two individuals and the third entity or the fourth, however you want to look at the construct that we live in is not determining, oh, I want a piece of that. Yep. So it actually makes it so people yeah. have so, no value. So you've, you've been doing a lot of thinking about uh, that Web3 world that we are imagining, many of us. Um, okay, so so there's that. There's there's how do we solve all the problems of medical delivery, finance, um, storage, uh, trade, etc. In a, in a decentralized uh, node-based world um, that tunnels through a dysfunctional superstructure. Um, and then the other one that I like to talk about because it's empowering. Okay, I, I live in a world because of my role in that's kind of come to happen. I didn't ask for it with the COVID crisis. It's kind of come to me is I really feel the burden of trying to be a good leader and um, to help people. I'm a physician. I want to heal and to help. I don't want to divide and have war. I want to heal and help. And I'm surrounded by people who are damaged, vaccine oh, yeah. damaged, damaged psychologically, damaged economically. Emotionally, um, sure, yeah. And a lot of them see themselves as victims. And in fact, they are. And... One of the things I love, the reason, one of the things I love to talk about is fifth generation warfare, which is the psyops that has been deployed on us by our own damn military. Mm. Okay. Um, absolutely documented in all the Five Eyes Nations. Mm. Okay. Um, is that I encourage people to learn what fifth generation warfare is the tools and techniques of fifth generation warfare, the strategy and tactics of fifth generation warfare. Michael Flynn has put out an easy reader book. 
There's a great online uh, reference available uh, that's been cobbled together from a bunch of sources over the last decade that you can get on Kindle called 5GW. It has nothing to do with cell towers. Um, it's an abbreviation or acronym for fifth generation warfare. Um, and uh, if people, the thing about, there's a whole bunch of characteristics about 5G, fifth generation warfare. It's totally decentralized. It's a battle. Instead of being a battle over territory, it's a battle over your mind, everything you think, believe, feel, know. Okay. Um, and it is decentralized and apparently leaderless. And it is low energy. A good fifth generation warf warrior propagates, this is Sun Tzu. I mean, this is ancient stuff. Okay. Propagates ideas into a population without them ever being aware that it's happening to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that is what's been done to us in so many different ways by our intelligence community, our military, by corporate America, Media, by fucking BlackRock. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. If people can take the time to learn that, just like as we learn about how Madison Avenue sells us bloody hamburgers, we become more resistant to buying McDonald's. When we learn their tricks, they don't work on us anymore mm -hmm. in the same way. At the first level, if you learn what fifth generation warfare is, you become much more resistant to the psyops. Mm -hmm. yeah. At the next level, as you start to practice it on social media, I like to say with the poor soul that's wearing a face nozzle in the grocery line, okay, with your with your aunt and uncle, with who in your general life. All of us can be warriors in a fifth generation warfare battlefield, because one of the things about fifth generation warfare is there's zero distinction between civilian and combatant. There is no rules of engagement. Anything goes. It's totally utilitarian the way they fight it. They have no rules. They will do anything. They have like, no morals. It's such and a complex enemy. Yeah, in the ch the challenge in engaging in fifth generation warfare is to not destroy your own morals and become the enemy. Fifth generation warfare is really complicated. It's the use of bots and trolls. It's all the stuff that we all deal with on a daily basis in the internet, and it is evolving really fast. Mm -hmm. yes. Um, and uh, if we get in there, people choose to be warriors. We can win this because well, there's a hell of a lot more of us than there are of them. So you do feel like there is hope. Absolutely. Okay. But well, people got to wake up. This oh. We got to move from the Great Reset to the Great Awakening. And the challenge is that for the 20% of us that are awake, or maybe it's 30 if we're lucky. <laughs> it might um, be more, but people don't admit to it. Uh, I'm just saying... Uh, traditionally, about 20% of any population is resistant to hypnosis, and 20% are very easily hypnotized, and the rest are somewhere in between. And a lot of the polls kind of float around that 30%. Well, you know, how many, what is the fraction of the American population that self-identifies as MAGA? For some reason, it's about 30%. Um, okay. Uh, this 30% number, 20 to 30% number keeps cropping up. And by the way, it's only 5 to 10% of the population that actually wants to be free. Freedom is tough, as you know. It's, it's tough. Governance. 
Yeah, it's tough like to take change. personal responsibility for your life. Yeah. Most people can't cope. They want to be told what to do. Any case, point is, if we want to win, just like the bloody American Revolution, that was a tiny fraction of the population, mm-hmm. okay? But they won against the biggest superpower in the world mm-hmm. the of the time. And, and they did it using guerrilla, basically fourth-generation warfare tactics, mm-hmm. guerrilla warfare, um, asymmetric warfare, which is what we got to master. A fifth-generation warfare gives us the tools to win in an asymmetric battlefield because we have numbers, but only if we're smart. And the thing that will beat us, um, and there's a great video by Mickey Willis about this that you can find on his Plandemic site. The thing that will beat us is division. And our opponents use these techniques like bad jacketing. You know, you're controlled opposition. Okay? This jacus, right? You're not sufficiently radical. We need to get rid of you. You must be with the other guys. Okay? Right. If, if you don't this agree with This happens me, again be. and again and again. Yeah. And the FBI actively promotes this crap. Mm-hmm. Okay? They actively seed their, I, I can tell you, I can show you documentation that we have infiltrators and disruptors. We call them chaos agents. Okay. They that's it's real. Agent okay. provocateurs are very, very real in oh, every yeah. single level you can think of. I mean they try to it, kidnap it the is real. governor of Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> they try to so, kidnap so her. We we have to somehow, you know, there's these classic phrases. We shall either hang together or we shall hang separately. Hmm. Okay. Um somehow we've got to get cohesion. And uh, you know, I talked to I one of the privileges of what's happened in my life is I got I get to talk to high-level people all over the world. Um, and a lot of those people are kind of seem to be of the opinion that we're not quite there. We're not quite ready to gel, like happened with Brexit. Okay? But we're close. And right now, I guarantee from what I've seen over the last two months, there has been a surge of these um, chaos agents coming in, trying to break us all up and turn us against each other. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've seen it on Facebook. I mean, we make memes to defeat the machine. I mean, That's we right. all have created That's- Memes a- are really powerful. Yeah. And the, comedy the is really powerful. The, the, the me- I, I think the meme is the most powerful tool in the world. You know, I, I, I still towed it because it was my original meme page. I'm just locked out of it, and it still happens to be on Facebook, but it's called The Naked Truth. And I decided to use their own game against them i would find pictures of men and women you know in like on the beach or in their bikinis or you know in their swim trunks and stuff and put you know go like go look up ruby ridge or something like on this picture so people would you know people stop because they're like oh man look at this attractive babe and then they're like what what do they mean go look up ruby ridge and that seed is you know people people go you know it's just planting a seed you know and i I will say, as somebody that has been screaming and blowing a whistle for well over 20 years now himself, like I have seen, especially in the past three years, a massive shift in awakeness. You know, I mean, for the the reason it led to the to the hat was people were calling me Captain Conspiracy because I would I'm the kind of guy that's like 
there's something wrong. There's something amiss. You know, like the, this story doesn't buy. Maybe there's more to it on almost everything yeah. in a lot of cases. And, and, and it turns out you were right. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. And and a lot of times I, and I don't get me wrong. There's a lot of times I hate that I'm right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I well, do. Crap. I absolutely know what you mean. And <laughs> but <laughs> but it's so it's so nice to see so many more people now that I can actually speak to and they, and you know, and we can, we can converse more. And I've found that doing the show, going away from typing responses to talking to people face to face has bridged a lot of gaps. You know, I have talked to people from every angle of the spectrum, every kind of political belief, uh, you know, people that have people that have talked, talked about things that some people would just frown upon them for, or even agree with but it's just like, Get sitting down and actually talking with people and actually hearing what they're trying to say and watching their mannerisms and stuff like that. You you see more people slowly starting to come together. And you know, I I built this entire podcast family from meme people. Like the the original group of this podcast family was a handful of us that did memes that live scattered across the country. And then it has grown to where I have six co six regular co-hosts and a couple like extra co-hosts like my friend Steven here that come on from time to time when you know when we need a spot filled and such. And like I appreciate all of them that do it and I, I love that we're scattered across the country and have built some of the greatest friendships ever. Like last spring, one of the co-hosts that's not here two of the co-hosts that are not here this evening actually made the trip to come see me. And we went and spent an entire day going down a river, an eight mile stretch of river in a canoe, getting to know each other and just having a good time. Oh, absolutely, man. There, look, we're, we were <laughs> in area. Something we're, tells me beer was involved. We're, oh, of course. We're, 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 we were, we're in areas where uh, we're, we kept making alligator jokes the entire time we were out there. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I kept looking at him and telling him like I'm I'm serious. You guys might be joking, but I'm serious. And I'll, I'll take I'll take alligator jokes <clears throat> over cottonmouth jokes. <laughs> and a week later, there was a, a bridge that we happened to pass under that we were doing in the canoe. Uh huh. A week later, there was photos of somebody taking pictures of an alligator down there in the water where we were. I sent it it to the crew and I was like, I thought you were. We used to have a we used to have an old cord crib in our place in North Georgia. And one time we went by there and there is a biggest damn cottonmouth I've ever seen just kind of hanging out. (laughs) Those things, those things, listen, I I didn't believe when I was younger, my granddaddy used to tell me, he's like, they'll chase you down. And I, okay sure and i was sitting in a boat one day are nasty critters i was sitting in a boat one day and had one try to get in the boat from out in the water because he just didn't like me in his area and i was just like nope you make sure you go down the don't go down the river they are nasty pieces of work and and though those and the red wasps are the only thing that I have trouble getting along with down here, man. Like I know they pollinate the peaches. Uh, but I don't. I don't like. I don't like fire ants very much. <laughs> Ooh, I've had experiences with them, and yeah, they'll. They're, they're, there's definitely a reason they called them. That's for sure. And you know, I mean, we, we Georgia and Florida down in this area, I joke around all the time that we're kind of like mini Australia because all of the critters down here are trying to kill you, <laughs> if if they're not just gigantic. Because like we have ridiculous sized bugs people people that have never been to the south and come here from the north they're like you weren't kidding these bugs are ridiculous and i'm like yeah dude like i don't i don't even understand it when they cross the when they cross the line down here they just triple in size out of nowhere mosquitoes it only takes two or three of them to carry you off real quick like it's it's just <laughs> yeah but I, you know, I, 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 um, I enjoy it and i enjoy 
I enjoy my small community because, you know, we keep talking about these small communities and stuff like that. I, and like, like I'm in I'm such a small community. We, we don't even have a McDonald's in this town. Like the closest. Uh, that's, that's, that's serious. It, <laughs> right. I mean, I, we, we do. We do totally, on the edge. We do totally have a Wendy's and a Waffle House, but we do oh, not well, have that, that. That, that doesn't count then if you've yeah. got a Wendy's and a Waffle House. But, but that's, that's it. Like everything else is like local based kind do of Do you stuff. have a Piggly Wiggly? That's what I want to know. It is now a giant mart. We, I, I, there is a the there is a Piggly Wiggly in the next county over, right up the street. But it is totally like it. The giant mart is. It, it used to be uh, what Win Dixie. Yep. Uh, yeah, giant. The giant mart down here is it. Uh, it used to be a Win Dixie years ago, and now it's like a locally owned kind of thing called Giant Mart, which is which is fine. It's totally cool. And the, I mean, the downside is is the closest hospital is twenty eight minutes away, but like at the same time, I I like being far away from everybody. I mean, I, I do have you, you neighbors I can careful. see through the trees, but like you just got to be careful with the chainsaw. Most definitely. And and it's good. And it's good to meet your other, you know, even though you're kind of spaced out, it's good to meet your other neighbors. You know, like I, I make Absolutely. it a point to, you know, we're, I'm far enough down that we all still wave at each other, even if we haven't even spoke when we drive by, you know, it's, it's still pretty biggest, common. Big, biggest blessing in rural life is a good neighbor. That's right. That's right. You know, because you you never know when you're going to, you know, when you can need a good neighbor for something. We we had some hellacious tornadoes come through here a couple weeks back, about a month or so ago. And like. It proved that the small community aspect is still here because we've seen so many people set all of their nonsense aside for a week because so many houses were lost, so many roads were blocked off, so many businesses. We had we had an entire Walmart like ripped in half and stuff. And this isn't even in my town, it was the next county over, but like it five tornadoes hit in one town, like at, at the same now, time. You guys and Georgia's starting to get it a lot more. Oh um, yeah. And and I, it was, I was in Atlanta uh last weekend and oh, nice. uh there was some serious uh weather coming yeah we had we had some serious weather down here in fact there was a tornado that spun off of that over in pine mountain georgia that set two tigers free from the anim and uh, african lion safari that were out there so uh, thankfully they were found but like it's 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 been a bit of a hairy year this year was it comes from they were found before tornadoes. the uh, cotton mouth got them uh, yeah. <laughs> so well, so sure we're having too much fun and I'm an old man and I've been married a long time and it's time for me to go see my lovely wife. I, I no, let she put me on a spit. I, over I, com fire. I completely understand. I was getting ready close to here to wrap up. I did. I did have I got like two more questions for you before I do part with you for the evening. And my first question was this was kind of just off kilter a little bit. But like, has anybody ever told you that you look like Han Solo, but way cooler? That's interesting. Thank you. No, beard, I haven't heard the, from, I've, the I've beard, heard, man. Like <laughs> I, a picture yeah. of you that I seen online. I was like, dude, he looks like Han um, Solo with a beard. Like, so uh, he he was also a California carpenter mm -hmm. before he was discovered. Um, oh. So I take some credit in that or or comfort. Uh, I was once. Let's see if I get it right. Um, uh. Let's see. It's it's Paul Newman and Newman and Redford, right? Was was the uh, Sundance uh, guys? Mm -hmm. So so I'm I'm in this uh, like Hotel W kind of thing in downtown DC, and uh, in downtown DC, there's so much crime that they got to station a guard at each exit of the elevator. Okay, 
So I get out of this elevator to go to my little room in this hotel. And there's this old black guy sitting there. And he says, uh, did anybody ever tell you you look like Robert Redford? And I said, no, no one has ever told me I look like Robert Redford. And then he says, he has to add the tagline, though. When he got old and decrepit. <laughs> so, oh, my Lord. No, I just, you know, I, especially with the, the recent go on Star Wars where Han Solo, you know, it was a little gray, but he just didn't have a beard. I think if they had a beard, bro, you would you would have fit the part perfectly. In fact, the okay, way they took well, it, I think, I think they the should put you in this career. place, man. Like, yeah, thank, OK, so that's question one. So and then my other question is I've here recently we've started a section of the show before I let everybody go for the evening where I use a AI question generator to generate a question for me to ask my guest and of course any of the co-hosts that are here to go on and I think this is a great question for you and if, this is if it's chat GPT we know it's going to have a uh, uh, left bias but let's go Maybe. This, this one, this, <laughs> the one I'm using tonight is called brightful and the question is if you had three wishes what would you wish for Ah, uh, that one, the gin. Um. Uh, yeah. You, did you watch the Witcher uh, series of, with the gin? I did. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty good. Um, uh, I enjoy the Witcher. So, uh, um, at my stage in my life, I really value my remaining time with my wife. And I think that uh, um, having having some more healthy time uh, with my wife uh, on the farm uh, would be would be one of them. Beautiful. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, I wish that we could be closer to our kids, our children. Um, they're scattered. One's in West Virginia. One's in California. One is totally the Californian is totally woke, um, uh, etc. And we got two grandkids, but we hardly ever see them. So I wish, I I, I would wish in, in my best of all possible worlds, uh, the family would come back around the farm. And we would be physically more together. Nice. Um, uh, what would be the third? Uh, the good health is central. If you don't have good health, everything else goes to hell. So it could be something around those three things. That's all wonderful. right. No, I, I think that's beautiful. So, of course, I like to go around the table and make sure anybody's got any last minute thoughts. Luis, do you have anything for us this evening? I'm just very hopeful. And I, I love to see that, that even everybody you meet, that overall, many people have a positive outlook and see that the decentralization is coming and hopefully we'll create a better future for the majority of mankind right. or at least got, have fun trying that's right steven you got anything for us this evening uh i just hope we don't have to hang i hope we can get there before we get to the ropes how about that fair Fair. Right. Said Stephen, I appreciate you joining us this evening on, on, on the fly. There is an extra show this evening. I know you guys all appreciate Stephen out there. And I thank you all so much for tuning in as usual. If I There's always going to be links. I've got links to get back to Mr. Malone's uh, Substacks as well as to get his book. You guys, you guys check that thing out. I've been, I've been briefing over it over the past couple of days myself too. And, 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 and 
just released today is the second rap video that I'm in nice. uh, with high res. Uh, um, uh, I think it's called What's the Truth? The last one was two plus two equals five. And yeah. so check out yeah. high res. This oh, is a new video. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's all about the WEF. Well, all right. We weren't gonna bring it up unless you did, so <laughs> and, we're, and and you guys you guys know I will have all the links so that you can get back and find all of that great stuff. I'll even be looking for both of those videos later too to hook them to this episode as well for you guys out there. And you know, we can't thank you enough for joining us this evening, sir. And we yes. can't thank all you folks out there for keeping this going and watching and loving us. And in fact, to do so, we we're going to continue with our pirate sticker giveaway. Get yourself some sweet unconstitutional awakening in the podcast stickers by answering my pirate multiple cho choice questions tonight. All you folks out there and you know listening and watching. So tonight's question is: How was Calico Jack finally apprehended by a pirate hunter? Was it A. He got drunk, B. He fell off the ship, or C. He fell in love with a woman who was actually a spy? You guys can answer that question at this episode at unconstitutionalawakening.com. And like I said, get yourself some free stickers. Even Stevens already got himself some. So, mm -hmm. and so I guess it's time we weigh anchor and uh, get on out of here, you guys. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>